Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It is good to be back with you after having been away from most church responsibilities for the last six weeks. Kind of a lot has happened in our family since my leave began on November 20th. On November 21st, my wife Amy gave birth to two healthy, identical baby boys. And words feel inadequate to the task of describing what this past month and a half has been like for our family. Our hearts are full. And we're feeling both incredible gratitude and overwhelming love whilst perpetually running on empty sleep tanks. We're so grateful for the outpouring of love that we've experienced, the support that we've received from so many in the form of of texts, of phone calls, of prayers, child care, meals, and more. Thank you. Amy is healthy and well, and as are our sons, James and Daniel. And we are all, Amy, Hannah, Luke, James, Daniel, and I, learning what it looks like to be a family of six. So thank you for the time that you've allowed our family to focus on one another and and on creating our new home together. You know, this is a time of year that many of us associate with being home. Are you home this week? Maybe you are just here visiting for a bit, or or maybe you're watching from home. Where is home for you? You know, what does that word even mean? Perhaps you are in the process of making somewhere new your home. As our family prepared for the birth of James and Daniel over the past 10 months, we we made a move into a new house in August, and, and we began the process of making it a home. And it's a process that takes time. You know, we remarked to one another that for the first few months, it really felt like we were living in an Airbnb or like we were guests in someone else's home. But now we've lived some some life in it. Most of our stuff has a place now. Little projects are getting done. And we've begun the process of making memories in it. For example, on Halloween, Luke fell down the front steps, busting open his nose, resulting in a trip to the ER, and, and now this house is the place where that happened. And it's now the place where we became a family of six. It's becoming our home. So what does that process look like for you in different places, in different periods of life? And what were those moments where your place of living began to feel like a home? In our scripture for today, we find Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fleeing Bethlehem and King Herod for the safety of Egypt and and then returning to Israel some years later to make a new home. I wonder what that process looked like for this young family. What did it look like for them to begin doing life in a new place? What, What projects were important for Mary and Joseph to get done 
Where did Jesus bump his head, throw a tantrum, or trip and fall? What were those moments where it began to feel like a home? You see, this process is, is so universally human. And in our scripture for this week, we are confronted with both the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ, and we're reminded that we worship a God who became, as Matthew writes in chapter 1, Emmanuel, God with us, a God who came and made a home with us. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles that you may have brought with you from home or your pew Bibles. Or open up your mobile devices and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 13 through 23 this morning. Now after the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. And take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, the gospel writer takes us on a journey through darkness and light and invites us to consider what it means to make Jesus Lord of our lives. I love the magic of lights at Christmas. And I've, I've found that magic to be elevated in the presence of children. Our neighbors this year set up a, a blow-up and light-up set of snowmen across the street from us that was viewable from Hannah and Luke's bedroom. That's our, our three and our one-year-old. And it became our end-of-the-night ritual to say goodnight to the snowmen across the street through the window. But in order to see them, it was important for us to first turn off all of the lights in the bedroom. You see, the light from the snowman was only perceptible in the darkness. 
On Christmas Eve this last weekend, many of you gathered right here and lit candles. All of the lights in the sanctuary were extinguished. Light and dark. The two are married. And in our passage this morning, we find the marriage of another kind of darkness and light. You see, in this passage, we read of Herod's murder of all children, two and younger. But we also read of God's intercession in human history. Sin and God's love. Our proclivity for acts of utter evil and selfishness and God's relentless pursuit of God's children. Humanity's role and responsibility for overwhelming suffering in the world is lifted up in this passage as well as our unmerited adoption as God's children. The commingling of darkness and light. You see, this passage, it lifts up our proclivity for acts of evil and selfishness. It's a passage that's often referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. A great passage for Christmas. Herod, in an attempt to eliminate a challenge to his throne, to his kingship, he orders the murder of all children, two and younger, in and around Bethlehem. Professor of theology Anna Case Winters makes the convicting assertion that, regarding this passage, that human history is a slaughter of the innocents. She goes on to say, We are all part of systems and structures which perpetuate the abuse, harm, and even death of innocent people all over the world. We'll come back to that uncomfortable statement in just a minute. You see, because this passage also lifts up God's intercession in human history on our behalf, God's adoption of us as children, we are reminded that, that God became one of us as part of a reconciling act. Did you notice in the passage that, that the story, it parallels the story of the people of Israel? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are forced to flee from Bethlehem, the promised land, to Egypt, just as Jacob and his sons are forced by famine to flee to Egypt in the book of Genesis. The people of Israel are rescued from the bondage of slavery in Egypt by God's divine intercession in the person of Moses. And here, God intercedes in human history in the person of Jesus Christ, come to save God's people from their slavery to sin. Seminary professor Frederick Bruner writes that in Jesus Christ, humanity now has a representative before God who does what Israel was supposed to do, be a witness to the world. Hear those words again, that in Jesus Christ, humanity now has a representative before God who does what Israel was supposed to do, be a witness to the world. So in this singular passage, we are invited to consider both our part in the pain and suffering of the world and our adoption as God's children. So how do we hold those two in tension? Darkness and light. Returning for a moment to the quote that I read to you, 
that human history is a slaughter of the innocents. Ouch. That we are a part of systems and structures which perpetuate the abuse, harm, and even death of innocent people all over the world. Do you believe that? I want you to consider with me for just a moment the clothes that you are wearing. Where did they come from? How were they made? Who made them? What were the wages that they were paid? What were the working conditions for those people? Or perhaps the food that you'll have later today. What were the farming practices used to produce it? Are they sustainable? Were the animals treated humanely? I think that most of us, at best, will respond to the answers to to most of these questions with, "I, I don't know. You see, the reality is that in a global economy, we are part of systems and structures which perpetuate the abuse, harm, and even death of innocent people all over the world. And it's okay if that statement makes you uncomfortable. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about how we respond to a statement like that because I think, I think that we tend to respond in one of two ways. One, we dismiss it. We sort of refuse to open that box. We narrow our focus to what is immediately in front of us. We shut ourselves off to the possibility that we may have some culpability or that these systems and structures of injustice even exist. Or if they do, that we certainly don't play a part in them or don't possess the power or ability to do anything about them. We fail to engage the conversation altogether. Or, or we allow this reality to consume us. We become so overwhelmed by the pain and suffering in the world that, that our lives fail to serve as a window to the light, to the goodness of God altogether. We all know people like this, or perhaps we are this person. We, we harangue, we condemn, we shake our fists at each at others with self-righteous indignation for their inability or refusal to see the things that we, the enlightened, see. We point fingers. We condescend. Also, not helpful. You see, because these are all conversation enders. So what might be the way forward Because as adopted children of God, don't we have a responsibility to engage this conversation about pain and suffering in the world? Don't we have a responsibility to to begin to understand how we might be a light in the darkness? So what does it look like to faithfully participate in this conversation about darkness? I want you to hear that Bruner quote one more time. In Jesus Christ, humanity now has a representative before God who does what Israel was supposed to do. Be a witness to the world. But, in the humanity of Jesus, we have in Jesus not simply what Israel was meant to be, but but we are meant to be as witnesses to the world. Our adoption as God's children means that we have a responsibility to be willing to, 
to participate in the conversation about hard things. So how do we have the conversation in productive ways? The World Cup took place uh, while I was away, and I got the opportunity to watch a couple of the matches. And I happened to catch an interview with U.S. men's team captain, Tyler Adams. The 23-year-old was confronted with what very well could have been a triggering statement and, and question by an Iranian reporter. We're going to watch this interaction here, and I want you to hear the tone and content of the question, and then listen to Tyler Adams' response. Wow. On the world stage, did you hear the tone and tenor of the conversation, of the question that was asked, that could have been so triggering? And on the world stage, Tyler Adams, this 23-year-old, nails it. He doesn't back down. He does not allow himself to be shamed, but neither does he condescend. He he doesn't deny in humility. He offers a sincere apology. He talks about learning, his personal experience. He talks about growth. He's vulnerable. Tyler Adams starts a conversation. Because dialogue is open-ended. It's, it's not about getting the last word. It's, it's not about getting the, the zinger. It's not even really about being right. You see, simply how we conduct the conversation as God's adopted children matters. Because in the humanity of Jesus, we have not simply what Israel was meant to be, but what we are meant to be as witnesses to the world. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we begin to do this well? In Jesus, we have one who was obedient to the Father's leading, even when it's uncomfortable, even unto the cross. So let me ask you, how does that type of obedience feel to you? What would it look like for you to allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, to be king? How do you even react to that? In our story this morning, Herod was not the rightful king of Judea. He's an imposter. 
put there by the conquering Romans. How does Herod respond to the threat to the throne? He schemes, he calls together his council, he murders. Consider this this morning. We are not the rightful kings and queens of our own lives. We are, in fact, imposters. How do you respond to Jesus' threat to the throne of your life? Do you scheme? Do you seek the counsel of others to affirm that following Jesus doesn't really mean surrendering that or doing this? Do you find yourself justifying all the reasons that's not really what Jesus wants? Why Jesus only wants a part of your life? Why all of these other parts should not belong to him? Looking for the approval of others that you are, in fact, good enough, Christian enough. On your worst days, do you resort to more devious measures? As we enter the new year together, what is one area of your life that you have yet to surrender? Your finances? Family? Your relationships? Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's connecting Sunday to Monday. Does what you do and how you do it reflect God's redeeming love for the world. Friends, yes, Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives, but it's more than that. Jesus wants to come in and make a home. And so it's not about perfection. There will be a commingling of darkness and light because real, authentic faith requires being lived in. There will be certain renovations needed, new windows here, a wall torn down there. And as Jesus makes your life his home, there will be bumps and bruises, a bloody nose, perhaps. Maybe even a few tantrums. As Jesus lights up the darkness of your life. And so in this new year, may we participate in the conversation of who God is and what God is doing in the world. May we surrender And may we allow Jesus to continue the process of making our hearts his home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.